0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Today, I'm honored to host Elliot Wald, a master trainer in hypnosis, NLP, and modern psychology celebrated for his transformative work as a clinical hypnotherapist. Trained at the London College of Clinical Hypnosis and certified as a master and trainer of NLP under Dr. Richard Bandler, the legend himself, Elliot's unique abilities have transformed the lives of celebrities and everyday individuals through one-on-one sessions and global seminars. Elliot's impact also transcends into the digital realm. His candid conversations on the Menace to Sobriety podcast have resonated deeply, sparking dialogues about addiction and self-discovery. So without further ado, let's welcome Elliot. Welcome to the show, Elliot. Fantastic to have you on. How are you? I'm pretty fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yes, good. Good. Me too. Very much so. Um, Super aligned with the wonderful things that you have been doing and are doing in the world Um, and uh, really fascinated by not just the things that you're doing, but obviously the underlying um, tools that you're using, uh, which we're a big advocate of here as well at One Year No Beer. But before we get on to um, uh, those wonderful tools um why don't you share with us a bit about your journey you know what inspired you to study hypnosis what inspired you to look into NLP and psychology and really craft cool. out where you
2: well, that's that's a big question I'd tell you because that takes me back a little bit I have to kind of give you some 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 kind of understanding of my life so I had what we call a challenging, upbringing. Um, my dad was stabbed to death in front of me when I was six years old. One guy that was drunk. Um, a month later, I was shipped off to a boarding school for high achievers. Didn't come home for three years, no school of those, no summer of those. Easter. Came home at nine years old and i um, had remarried remarried. Uh, this man was to be my father who, uh, in my head, I called the big who would beat me, tame me, um, punish me, belittle me, uh, whip me until I bled, stand over me and urinate on me. And I think there were two things that came out of that Well, you know, it, it, you know, hindsight's a valuable thing and how we deal with sight that happened to us is an important lesson in life. So for me, two things came out of it. The first thing was that stereotypical, I never want to get hurt again. So I found myself gravitating to a gym, training really hard. Wanting to be big and strong so no one hurt me. That was the first thing. Ran away from about 14 and a half years old between saves of surfing, living on the streets. And I think that I just found, first of all, I was very angry at the world. And for a period of my time from 14 to 21 ish, I was violent. When I say violent, I, I didn't cause trouble. But if there was trouble, I always gravitated to it. It was like my way of dealing with things. And uh, uh, so, so at the age of 19, I'm 19 stone, 5% body fat, training six days a week, like an absolute, you know, ferocious person. And with that came along friends of mine who worked in clubs and bars. And and I would be VIP'd into any club anywhere in London. And initially, for me, um, there were two stories going at the same time. And he said, you be they would start giving me drugs, okay? At the same time as that happened, I found myself studying psychology because I wanted to help people. So there yeah. two different parallels going on. One, I started psychology because I wanted to help people, because I believe that what happens to you can do one or two things. You can allow that to affect the rest of your life and constrain you, or it can open up a window of opportunity to realize that that wasn't right or do things different. So I studied psychology. Then I met a guy called Paul McKenna in hypnosis. And I, uh, Paul and I really hit it off. He was back in the 90s on TV all the time. And I was
1: probably playing. the most famous hypnotherapist, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, certainly if you're in, in, in the UK or Europe, but certainly if you're in the UK in an age bracket of, I'd
2: say, 40 plus. Yeah. Definitely. And Paul and I hit it off. I spent a good few years studying with Paul. I then met through Paul a guy called Dr. Richard Badler, super intelligent guy, yeah, you know. co-creator of NLP. I then met John Grinder through another friend of mine, the other creator, Judith Lozio, Richard Bandler, um Robert Dilts. All these people who were big, big names in linguistics, and so I spent years and years studying. While that was going on, I was out going to clubs and um, pubs, and people were giving me a ticket, you know, grab it. And I was using it on a social level myself. Um, And then my career began to blotch them. I was on ITV every every morning, dealing with phobias. I had TV shows in Australia, Germany, America. I was doing radio interviews all the time. I wrote my first book that was published. Things were going great. Except for now I was in a situation where it wasn't just an occasional use of every other weekend. Cause now I'm in a financial situation that I can afford to use. And, and the problem with any addiction, no matter what it is, is it creates triggers, right? So you start using about his social you know, occasions like battle. And then it becomes dealing with your emotions. Had a bad day, had a good day, celebrating, finished work early, got the weekend. All of these things that became embedded in my unconscious mind as triggers happen to me. So I'm using every other weekend. Now all of a sudden I've got a contract on ITV and I'm earning good money, right? But I just finished work by 11 a.m. And what do you do? Pick up a little ticket. So now I'm using a for every day of the week. So now my addiction has gone from once every few months to once and daddy. So I'm I'm on the TV and I'm using a grow a day, and my kids used to come home and watch whatever phobia I dealt with on ITV this morning show. Oh my dad, Rick. look at this, and I've gone, wow, I don't I look, I look, I look, I, look, I, look, I look red, right? I've got to do psych about this. And I went, listen, I am this psychologist who's got all these years of experience of hypnosis, linguistics, psychology, psychotherapy, psychodynamic therapy. i studied all of them over a period of eight years. And, um, I mean, I've got to do something about it. So I canceled my TV contract within about a month. I read every book on addiction, downloaded every thesis paper, and that was my journey to stopping myself. This is 2008, and then I wanted to help other people and dedicate my life to helping other people deal with their addictions. And really, that's kind of how it took me on that path. And it's funny because there's one thing, I oh, do you want to say, because people talk about my upbringing and what I went through and, where I'm at and there was a couple of things that happened in my life that made a huge change at that time and one of them was a magazine and there's a center spread list magazine and on the left hand side there's there's one tweet he's been he's on death row and they said to him what the journalist says why, why do you think what do you attribute to being on death row and he said I grew up with an alcoholic abusive father who was always beating me and my twin who was always beating my mother it was always committing petty crime. was always in and out of prison. Had do think it was going to grow up? I killed three people. On the other side of the sentence, Springs his twin, and his twin works for the Innocent Project. So what he does is he finds people who have been incarcerated for 20-plus years, where there is unequivocal DNA. This person is innocent. And he's a, you know, a defender of the public people. And the, the, the journalist says, what do you attribute to being this defender of the public people? And he said, I grew up with an alcoholic, abusive mom who was always beating me and my twin, always beating me and my brother, who was always committing basic crimes, always in that prison. How did he, was going to grow up? And it was that one of these things at that time that I went, it doesn't matter what happens to you. Yes, you might need to deal with it, but it's how you choose to use what happens to you. And that was profound for me.
1: Mm. Super powerful. Um, and I think. Um... I've heard, uh, we've actually had a guy on the podcast, he was one of the top gang leaders in one of the worst U.S. prisons. Um, And um, he'd very much chosen to go down that path. Um, And he had a moment of realization and flipped to the other side entirely. Um, And what's interesting now is he goes into prisons and talks about this choice of using the the Mm -hmm. two alternatives here. And he's like, you know, I could run a prison like this tomorrow to these guys. So they, they, he creates that respect with that conversation because he was one of the most renowned, um, and most violent. Uh, and now the work that he does is so powerful in helping people to rehabilitate and really get back into life and make these significant changes. Uh, and I think, you know, from that level, okay, that's one extreme, which we, which we can say. And similarly, even on the lightest extreme, the person listening to this podcast who's like, well, I didn't really have that much of a traumatic childhood or I didn't really have that much of a problem. I guarantee you there's still stuff back there. And unless do. unless you're aware of it, unless you're, unless you're using that for good, right, then it's probably driving um, behaviors for bad. So I think what you've said there, that that way you choose to use it, I think it transcends all stories, everyone, um, about how they choose to behave. Would you say Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I, think,
2: I think it doesn't matter how big a thing happens to you or how small a thing happens to you. It's making sure you've got the tools to address that issue, that challenge. However small, it doesn't matter how small it is to somebody else. It matters how much it affects you.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. I, don't think,
2: I think a lot of people, they mm. mask those problems with, you know, using our drugs, alcohol. Uh, it's the only way to
1: cope. It's the only way to... Cope but, but the the thing is, and people are not aware of it, right? So they're in second or third divorces or they're in, they, they attract significantly, you know, they, they attract problematic relationships or they work for bosses who are total assholes or they find careers that are destructive for them. Or they have it showing up in childhood and things like that. It's like they aren't doing the math. The math is: you have stuff that you need to fix. You have stuff you are need to resolve because you're creating this. You're yeah. you're you're making this happen. But um, let's go back for a second because you know you found oh. this place of addiction yourself, um, and um, or rather what we would term as significant compulsion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, the, and 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 you addressed that personally. Can you just tell me a bit about what journey you went on to address that personally, um, more specifically? So, well, so I mean, basically, I had all the tools that I
2: used to help other people. You know, I'd already studied it, notions of psychology, the linguistics, and it was a question of you know, the the methodology that I used to help other clients of mine now break their addiction. You know, specifically cocaine addiction and some alcohol addiction it is really the journey that I took myself. And I think what makes me unique that sounds so egotistical, but I'm just well, not like, Yeah, absolutely, right? Is the fact that I've been there. I bought the t shirt. I understand them. I empathize because I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like when somebody says to you, I know I shouldn't use, I know I shouldn't drink, I know I shouldn't shouldn't do this. But it's like I'm a must see by it's bitten me, right? And it's here, and I know I it shouldn't itch it, and it's okay while I'm focused on not itching it. But the moment that my attention is taken somewhere else, and I forget about the mosquito, say, Right, like in fact, I'm not supposed to itch it, then I scratch it, and the moment I scratch it, it itches even more, and that's what it's
1: like, right? So, what I do is I use a variety of tools to change that mindset completely. Um, the the This is something really foundational, um, Elliot, that I think is really important that we just dive into for a second, because um, out there in the world, um, there is very much this rhetoric around addiction, um, that if you are an addict, then you must go and be um, treated as an addict over here, uh, which may be clinical, drugs, it could be that you're going to have a disease for the rest of your life, it could be all of this sort of subject matter um but what you're suggesting and you're suggesting that the work you do is working with people who have severe compulsion uh, i mean compulsion severe compulsion problematic compulsion and addiction and severe addiction and you're helping them what change that for good using words is that what you're saying so 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 different structures
2: if using words absolutely because you know words impact our emotional responses you know, how we perceive something has a fundamental effect on our behavior. You know, if we, if we constrain ourselves in the world, we are not able to achieve things. So using words, using strategies. So, you know, one of the things I would do, let's just use a cocaine addict. Let's say somebody that I see uses a full gram seven days a week, okay? You know, my first step would be to change their processes of thinking Take what I call their impulsivity, because people who use are more impulsive. There's a, a propensity of people who are more impulsive to use over and above others whose impulsivity is very low. You know? So what I do is I put in a buffering effect so they can think about their decision before they finally make that decision. That's one one thing I do. I'm also a great I'm also a great believer in addictive personalities. You know, I'm gonna look at myself, I'm gonna go, hey, I have an addictive personality. You know, when I when I was using gear, it was daily. You know, when I'm in the gym, it's daily. When I work, it's 30 40 hours a day. Oh no, part times. Part time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Well, so what I'm gonna do is I want to use that addicted trait they have with them, right? So instead of trying to stone it off, which is what a lot of people do, because I did a lecture to a 500 doctors at an addiction conference. And I said, I like to make my clients more addictive. And I, they looked at me like, what? You want to make your clients more addicted? And I'm like, yeah. But I want to change their addiction to say it's beneficial. Exercise is a great structure. I get all my clients to do some form of exercise because A, it gives you structure, right? if you're used to using in the, just if you're used to using in like six, seven o'clock, if you're then going to the gym or playing squash or going for a run or cycling and you do that eight o'clock, by the time you get back, it's 9.30 at night. You're tired. You eat. That is over. You go to sleep. You've got structure in your life. And you release that serotonin, those good feelings. So why not become addicted to something that's beneficial for you? And they were like, we shouldn't be addicted. I said, listen, addicted to drugs and alcohol, addicts to exercise. I know which one I'm going to choose every day of the week. So I'm a great believer in that. That's another you know, strategy we're going to use. We create structure in your life. Have things to do. Have a plan in place. You know, what are you going to do Friday night? Where are you going to go Saturday? Are you going to spend time with your family? What commitment have you already made today? But next week, the week after, the week after that, And then on top of that, so we've got structure in their life, we've got activity in their life, now it's about changing their emotional response, right? Because a lot of it is, listen, using is a temporary relief for a problem, but that problem just comes back to them. So it's about finding a better way of dealing with that problem, changing the way they look at it. Then I use some techniques, very simplistic compulsion to repulsion, so it's a very common thing, but I've got a twist on it. Because the twist I have on it is this it? it's taking the same thought of compulsion, attaching it to the repulsion, but the repulsion mm. of what happens if they use.
1: Right. Mm. Yes. Great. So 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 I take that and I bring this here. Yeah. Maximize the hangover, minimize the the feeling in the moment, which is the truth. Right? The, that's just awareness. And, and this is like, we were talking about the wonderful work of Dr. Annalemke Gay before, right? We know a yeah. dopamine pain pleasure balance. And we know that long tail after that huge amount of spike of pleasure is lots of pain. So really you're just dragging the attention of people to that so that in the moment they're going to play it forward very quickly, subconsciously and go, why do I want to feel like shit for three days? Why do I want to be anxious, depressed, sad? Yeah. Sad. Lovely. I've got to
2: remember this. Let me just say this. You've got to remember this, right? Inside of our memories, we have a deletion and distortion mechanism. So even evening, it this it's is why we have kids. kids. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so so, 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 so even that evening at 4 a.m., where you really believe, like, oh, I'm never doing that again. Fucking hell, what a mess. Thomas was, oh, they believe it. They believe it, right? Because that memory is so profoundly strong. The problem is, Over the next day, till the next evening, or if they don't use the next day, and it's two days, that memory
1: begins to delete itself. And so they've forgotten all about it. Why why does that delete? Why does that delete when, you know, yeah, why does that delete? I
2: think it deletes because it's not as important for them to remember that moment in time. And and there's a part of them that it's the devil on shoulder and the angel on the other. And the angel's going, no, don't do it. The devil's going, yeah, just have a bit. No, don't drink, Yeah, ever just have some. No, don't use drugs, Yeah, but just have a bit. And there's this inner civil war. And I think the deletion is the devil taking control of your mind. You know, uh, I'm not religious out there, but I'm just giving an example. Exactly, yeah. So um, I think that you've got to remember that memory deletes itself and becomes further and further away. And it's about bringing that memory back. And there's something that Adeline I, talks about, which I, I really love. She talks about pain and pleasure, how it's co-located in the brain. Mm-hmm. Well, I like to go one further than that. And that is what I'm going to say is this. Human nature is about avoiding pain and seeking pleasure, right? Now, we try to avoid pain. If you put your hand of a red oven ring and you burn yourself, you go, oh, I'm not going to do that again. You want to seek pleasure. But most things in life have an element of pain before we get pleasure. So we go to work, we'll call that pain. To get paid to buy nice things, we we'll call that pleasure. We don't drive a car, we'll call that pain to have the freedom to get around and call that pleasure. That's how life works. However, when you're looking for alcohol or drugs, right, there's a perception of pleasure first, and the pain comes later on. The drivers are the wrong way around. So what I do is I switch the drivers back so they're reminded of the pain before they have any perception of pleasure. Mm.
1: That's what happens. I love that. And is that using NLP or is that also hypnotherapy or both combined? Or so 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 I don't really use. I don't really look at and go,
2: where does one line start or one line stop? I just combine everything together. I've tried to go and look. Listen, if you use hypnosis, why just use hypnosis if you know how to use linguistics? If you don't use hypnosis and linguistics, why not use psychodynamic therapy? You know how to use psychodynamic therapy? Why not use psychology? I think what makes what I do different is this. A hypnotherapist will use hypnotherapy. A linguist will use linguistics. Certainly. And addiction comes So what I did is I went, I'm an addict. I'm an addict. What do I need as an addict that's different, right? There's no point just having a screwdriver and a hammer if you need a spirit level, you know, and a drill. So I take a multitude of different tools and I design it for that specific client. You know, listen, though, two clients are the same. You yeah. can't use a cookie cutter mold and go, this guy uses every day or drinks every day. This guy drinks with his partner once a month, but binges two or three days. You can't use that same model. You can't use a cookie cutter So the first thing I do with a client is I spend the first session getting to understand their usage, their frequency, their quantity, their value, their beliefs, their financial capacity, where they got to, how they got to it everything about there you can begin to tailor everything specific to that individual person and i think that makes a huge difference
1: let's pause just for a brief moment i just want to share with you some of the heartfelt feedback from our incredible complete control
0: community members listen to this i i don't know how i signed up i think i just got an ad on instagram and just got a whim just hit the button and did a call and then signed up and didn't really consciously think much about it. Then after that, I was like, what did I just sign up for? Wait a second here. Like far exceeded my expectations. I'm usually extremely skeptical. So I don't know how I even signed up in the first place, but whatever it was. Um, So it's just amazing how like the transformation that I've seen and even the drinking part is just kind of the super, it, it was the Achilles heel, but it's kind of just the superficial problem. And it's like, once I kind of clear that up, there's so much more possibility and, and you know, the exploration discussions with Gary, with Candace have just been so powerful and kind of they both kind of focus on a different area. And then with Glenn kind of looking at my data and with my co- cohorts or classmates, or, you know, it's just been just everything has just been so powerful and kind of supportive of, you know, completing the whole picture of how I do this. Um, so, just really grateful and, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and also just feel more grateful and not only just for all of you, but just, just in life in general, it's just a little bit more clarity and peace and calm and, and, and so forth. So,
3: I am incredibly grateful for this entire program, everybody on this call and everything that we were able to experience. Um, I think that it delivered more than I expected. Honestly, I, I, like I've said before, I've done a couple of like challenges and different things. And I think that this beyond um, examining my relationship with alcohol and making, I think, pretty good strides in, in um, staying alcohol-free, um, I think it taught me a ton about myself and how to like examine my habits and my thoughts and those kind of um, patterns and ways to ways to approach the things that worried me the most in this in this experience um have just been invaluable. I think I'm leaving feeling um in stronger in general, more self-aware in general and um just really more anchored in who I want to be and what my values are and how I can you know take better steps to achieve those. So it's been fantastic for me. And again, the our team, I, I really um, appreciate all the feedback and support from every single person on this call, but my cohort as well. It's been great. So I love everybody that I've met here. I have loved the program. I am not uh, an emotional person like this, but this has changed my life. It, it, it has given me a life. Um, and there's other things I need to do too, um, but I don't have to do a call anymore, so Thank you. It's been an amazing journey and a very. I appreciate the professionalism. Whenever I feel the stress, I, there's there's something that I can go back to to everybody, and the sharing from everybody and the professionalism of the program. So I loved it, and I've grown a lot. So, ups and kisses. One word is transformational. That's a word that's been bandied about for decades, but in this it is absolutely accurate if i was to use one word this was a great investment it's not it's not self-help it's self-realization it's um super powerful but it, it exceeded my expectations or maybe it was sharing who said that um uh or maybe i'm exceeding my expectations and i like that the program has been hugely i'm hugely grateful for some program I like think the journey of for myself
1: has been amazing. I mean, I remember telling I don't know if it was Candice or Gary the first three or four weeks of program. I was like, I can't stop thinking about not drinking. It's just it's in my head. I'm happy, every day I'm thinking about not drinking, and it's it's like now I'm not even thinking about it. You know, it's just like my life has sort of stepped on. I'm excited about the future. Um, things are looking good.
0: Things are looking good.
1: I just love sharing the things people are saying about our complete control program. Okay. Let's get back into the episode. One thing I want to touch on here. Um, I, I, I want to touch on, remind me cause I have a tendency to view yeah, it, but I want to go into a bit more about the science of hypnotherapy and what's usually, yeah. but I'm going to bet that a, a huge proportion of people who listen to this, um, well, actually maybe that's not true. Let's remove that judgment. Um, I think if you were to call it out to the world out there and say that you work in addiction, that most people are conjuring up an idea of the type of client that walks through your door. Okay. And they're probably thinking about somebody who's a bit of a down and out or something like that. Right. But I would guarantee that it's the polar opposite of that. So would you like to just describe who is okay. your typical client? Um, okay. So um, I'm, yeah. I think I'm going to answer that for you very, very clearly. Yeah. Listen,
2: my clients range from. Plasters, builders, bricklayers, carpenters, everyone in the building industry, right? To so, surgeons. I've got a pediatric surgeon who I'm helping. All that thumb up,
1: did That teeth. No, no, it's, it's copying you. Let's see if it does me. No, it doesn't like me. I've got a pediatric surgeon who I'm helping. over in
2: zoo in France uh, with an addiction to cocaine. Uses daily, right? So that's a surgeon. I've got a judge at the old bailing, right? And he sits there and he goes, he says to me, Elliot, I, I was just finished a murder case and before I'd sentenced, I went in the in the chambers, had a quick shot of whiskey, did a quick line, came back out and went, twenty-seven years. And I was like, Whoa, whoa right. So judges, I have CEOs of a huge corporation. I have people who sit on the board of huge charity organizations. I have professional athletes who box as professional boxers at the top of their career when they're not I see or get ready for a competition or get ready to fight. You've won't Colin column as <laughs> an
1: accident.
2: You know, you would be shocked at the people that I see. twice a week I work out of a private hospital. Yeah. And and um I've probably seen 20, 30 doctors this year alone who've come to see me who have a dependency to alcohol or yeah. drugs. You know, it's not this it's hugely stolen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not this person who, this perception of, is sitting on the um, on, on the street corner, sipping a brown paper bag with sat and all that. And it's definitely not.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely rife in the city and executives and leaders and, and all all of that there. And I think we're not, you know, we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. I I, I have to you be know,
2: I agree. I have a couple of people who work in the city who are uh, uh, traders. Um, financial trials. It yeah. yeah, was it, And they say to me, it's almost literally expected to take clients out and use I mean, the client it, to get them on that level, to feel comfortable with them. It's okay. always like, oh, they share a special secret. Now they're going to spend more
1: money. Absolutely, it's super, super rife. So, um, and I think where we're trying to be at as well, in 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 conjunction with the wonderful work that you are doing, is try to be more preventative for people before you know they get into a more serious state, um, and um, try and he- help people head off the paths at an earlier earlier stage by putting these things into their life and and, and making these changes. But um, dialing back into hypnotherapy the because, sure, you know when we when we designed our program um, hypnotherapy over the years, hypnotherapy kind of gone in and out of vogue and in and out. And if you look at the science now, like absolutely irrefutable. But so tell us a bit about the, um, science behind hypnotherapy, maybe some of your results or efficacy, like what are you see?
2: Listen, first of all, let me just say this. I think a lot of people have a misconception about um, hypnosis. They, they see this stage hypnotist and he's waving, waving this watch all this pressure give an impression yeah absolutely unconscious Uh, and let let me just tell you this right that is far from what I do but I'm going to tell you a story 20 I've been doing this for 28 years so I would say 27 years ago I was going to um, it was a Spanish island there was a stag dude back in the day when I'd party with some friends of mine I'd been qualified about a year (laughs) and we went to a bar big bar and they sit in the bar, there was a stage hypnotist going to be there tomorrow night. And everyone's like, oh, that's you, L, that's you, Elliot. We'll come back tomorrow. Come on. So there I am. And uh, I've gone back to this bar. The next there's about 700 people in this bar, huge. Grand Canary, that's where it was. And uh, I said, oh, there's a stage hypnotist. He said, the stage hypnotist isn't here today. And all these people are waiting for the stage hypnosis show. And the guy said, uh, and my mate said, hell, hey, you do it. And I was like, me? And they're like, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I said to the bar I'll do it. And he was like, like what? I was like, I'll do it. Just pay, get my friends drinks. I don't want anything. I'll do it. So I got up on stage and did the stage hypnosis show. And the reason I did it was because I understood the stage hypnosis is very different to clinical hypnotherapy where you're looking for an end result, right? I knew the people who wanted to be on stage, I had to elicit the right people. So I started off with, Okay, I want people to come on stage who want to have a really good time. Who want to be the stars of the show. So when you think about what I've asked for, right? I want people to come on stage who want to have a good time. I'll comply, yeah. Comply. You want to be the stars of the show. Comply, right? And then I know I've got 50 people, but I only want 10. And I start getting rid of them as I start progressing up what I want them to do. And their compliance becomes more and more. That stage hypnosis, it it. It's not it knows. It. It's about a whole psychological compliance evaluation and change. What I do is far more technical, right? But what I do, nobody will ever see coming. Let's give you an example of how people experience hypnosis. Let's change it for a different word. Let's use the word influence, okay? Mm. Because that's what we are. We're all in right? So you go to the supermarket, let me ask you a question. What do you think are the two most common items purchased in the supermarket? Milk and bread. They are. And you'll never sign Brenna Miller in the entrance. Why not?
1: Because people always go for that, and and um, they're going for that, and they'd rather get them to get everything else, either in the way there or the way back out. So they want to put it either at the middle of the store, or at the end of the store,
2: so they know you've got to walk through the store to get the two items that you came into purchase, and you end up buying things you did not intend to buy. You were hypnotized, Or you were influenced. Whatever word you want to use. And we come out of the store without even thinking about it, you go to a casino, a casino, no windows, no clocks. There's always the sound of a machine paying out. Why? Because it's subliminally it going to affect you continue to be there. That's hypnosis, that's influence, right? You take the kids to a theme park, you always have to walk out of the theme park. Through the souvenir shop, why? Because they're going to influence you to purchase products. Social media these days, they even call influencers, they even use the right word they influencers to sell a product, to influence you to buy it. That's hypnosis. Okay. It. So it's the oh boy suggesting it to someone's mind that they don't even see how it's woven together to make a difference with them. But what it is about is changing their emotional reaction so they don't want to use, they don't want to drink, they don't want to do that. But I also have another little trick up my sleeve. So sometimes I have people who say, I don't want to stop drinking because I still want to do it socially. I just want to drink. And I say, well, what amount what, do you call, you know, a comfortable level? And they said to me, what about if I could go out and just drink a glass of wine? I was like, okay, a glass of wine. We can do that. So here's what I would do with someone who wants to drink a glass of wine. Who would drink two bottles of wine I'm a great... I like studying human behavior. So 2006, I developed a board game that taught psychology students how to revise their degree. I had this concept of this board game, and I phoned up to colleagues of mine. I said, listen, I've got this idea of this board game. We're going to develop it. And they were like, yeah, we're on board. We wrote 300 questions. We designed the board game. We had little brains. So you expand your brain as you move around the board game. And we got close to completion. But at the time, I was doing a lot of seminars in Australia. I was in McCarthy Medical Center in the middle of in the Philippines, back and forth, as they were. in Alicante in Spain, i lived for some 25, 28 years. And I said to them, listen, I've got a little two-bedroom apartment. Why don't we just go out there, turn our phones off, three or four days, we'll get it complete. They're like, okay. So we go out, some like my in Spain. Now, I like food. I'm a little too many, you know, I eat healthy, but, the days I'm not, I want, I want to enjoy my food. Now, I like steak, but I like water steak. So I said to them, let's go to this steak restaurant. And they're like, okay. So we go to this steak restaurant, and one of my colleagues says to me, hey, well, can I order a bottle of wine? I was like, well, we're going to split the bill, do what you like. I don't drink person, right? And um, he orders a bottle of wine. I remember 2007, 2006, 50 euros. And I'm thinking 50 euros. Damn, that's a lot of money. I mean, if I was going to buy somebody a bottle of wine, you know, as a gift or something, I don't know, 10 pound, 15 pound, 50? I'm not tight. Fucking hell, 50 euros a lot, right? Yeah. Anyway, he has this bottle of wine, and he does this, and he takes a little smell, and he looks at the light, and he looks at it, and he takes a little sip, and he puts a glass down. And I watch yeah. him through the evening, and he drinks one glass of wine. One. And every time he drinks, he has this little smile. Cork shit takes a bottle of wine. We were there three nights. To get all three nights, and he didn't even finish the bowl. He tipped some of it away before we left. So I'm on the plane on the way home, and I turned to him. and I said, "What do you do with this glass of wine? Explain to me, because I love learning." He said, that, oh, I look at the color, the clarity, the reflection of light on the surface of the glass. I take in the aroma with the bouquet. I allow all the thousand taste buds on my tongue to enjoy the taste of the wine." What he said to me was this. I enjoy enormous gratification from a small quantity of wine. So there all of a sudden there was a strategy that I could take from this guy and implement it to other clients so they could just drink one glass of wine. Yeah, exactly. Because they weren't getting the pleasure and enjoyment.
1: Yeah. With they're missing guys. all of the mindful moment. They're, it's it's not about the, the, the thing, right? It's just about the result. And if you yeah. get them to think about the thing. And the moment, and all of those things, and the complexities of it, mm-hmm. then, um, yeah, that's amazing. I love that, it's very powerful. So, I use the hypnosis to re put that strategy back in their own head. Yeah. That's how I use hypnosis. So, so yeah. talking from that, do you are you able to get somebody from what would be considered very significant, problematic drinking, um, uh, or even? Cocaine usage. I mean, forget cocaine usage because I imagine for most people you just want to get them to stop. I mean, there's, there's you know, it's just so a really shit good. drug. It's but with alcohol because it's so prevalent, socially normal, you get people to go to a more controlled drinking place where they they. So I would I would apply
2: so that the a lot of my clients are predominantly cocaine. I would say eighty percent of my cocaine, which means alcohol was the gateway to use. Totally. <laughs> it always starts with the drink and then it goes to the ticket. That's what happens. Because I always say to people, listen, I did this 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 um, video once and I had a little dessert jar. And in that dessert jar, I put a pickled onion. And I took some of the pickled onion juice and I poured it in the jar So the pickled onion was half covered. I said, that's the equivalent of a glass of wine. Now if I pour more in, I had two glasses, three glasses, two bites, three bites, four bites. Until the pickled onion is completely covered. That pickled onion represented your brain. Now that your brain's tickled, You can't even think straight. So it's about reducing the quantity down. Now, if they see me because they did it with a cocaine habit and alcohol is a gateway, I really want to stop the alcohol for the first month. After that month, the second thing I like to do is change the drink, then now I'm gonna drink. Because they have an association. Oh totally. With Paste test ticket. Correct. SDLNB state dependent alert memory behavior. They access a certain state. Associate with using, and that's what they do. We can completely change their drink, and we completely change the strategy about their drink. So their brain is now looking at it a different way. It's pleasure. It's enjoyment. It was such a small quantity. One glass. One pint. Two at the math, That's it. So that's what we implement.
1: Yeah. LA, I know because I've been in this industry of helping people change their relationship with alcohol for nearly a decade now um, and have helped hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. You only have to take one look at our social media and Facebook ads to see a plethora, an army of people out there who say what we do is impossible. They say taking somebody from significant addiction to being able to control is impossible. You cannot moderate. You cannot control. They're going to have a disease for the rest of their life. So, Please join me now in telling the world that that is absolute bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove it to you because I'm going to say that
2: when I used to do see TV This Morning show, I never knew what phobia was going to be presented to me, okay? Mm-hmm. I would turn up at the TV studios and they would say to me, oh, this person's got a phobia of birds and at the end of this program, which is two hours, we get to put them in this cage full of birds Firstly, person who was freaking out, right? Or they might say to me, this person has a fear of needle. And at the end of it, we're going to get Dr. Prestile to give her an ejection live on air. Now, I just proved with live on air, no editing, no cutting, no putting together. Live, I took somebody who had a problem, something in their brain that they didn't think they could deal with or overcome to the point where in front of millions of people, they were able to do, not using stage hypnosis, using hypnosis, psychology, linguistics. If they can do that in the space of two hours, how much simpler is it to reduce the quantity of alcohol, stop using drugs, because it all comes from in here. If you change in here first, you change your behavior. And every behavior, let's think about this, every behavior you look, right, you weren't born an alcoholic. You weren't born with an addiction to cocaine. You learned it. You taught yourself. And all learning is repetition. When you're born, you're born with a limited functionality. Try, sleep, toilet, feed, everything else you learn to do. You learn to walk. You learn to talk. You learn to drive. You learn to use a phone. You learn to do everything you now do. Now, the moment you learn to do something, let's use driving. Clutch, mirror, indicator, accelerator. Once you consciously learn and you get conscious competence, it goes into your unconscious. Let's say a book wraps around it to protect it to ensure you don't forget the very thing you learned today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now you've got these habits that are really good driving, using the phone, cooking, meals. right? But there is no filter mechanism to distinguish between positive, good, negative, or bad. good, or bad. Exactly. So now you learn bad habits in your life, but they also become protecting because your mind doesn't understand. Now, who's protecting it? You are. It's protecting your unconscious mind. That unconscious mind is developed from the moment you're born. Upbringing, education, your values, what's important to you, your beliefs, your limited beliefs, or your beliefs you can achieve something, your personal beliefs or factual beliefs. So factual belief, the world's round. Someone tries to disprove it, comes up like with the same concept factual Personal belief could be a religion or faith that you believe to be true and you live your life according. Then you have your experience. And in the blink of an eye, all that information is computed. For you need to make a decision here. So all everything you do is computed in here. It's like you've got this brain computer that you develop software, right? Now think about the experience. Let's say you and all the people listening don't like red apples. And I say, Here's a red apple, and you all go. We don't like red apples, Right. And I go, why don't you like red apples? Now, the answer is telling, because people will say, because I had one yesterday, last week, last month, a year ago, five years ago. In other words, you're making a decision of what you don't like based on your past experience. To some degree, that's how it must be. How else do we know what movies we like, music we like, food we like, drinks we like? So we're making decisions based on all of that unconscious process and we're making decisions to use or to drink at that level, yeah. based on the things we taught ourselves. If you taught yourself something, you can relearn something. Now you can use psychological tools that can speed up that relearning
1: process. And that, in a nutshell, is what it is. Yeah, amazing. So, um, and I love that you exactly what you've said because I think a lot of people try and figure this stuff out themselves, and and they try and they you know they use willpower, they try to do a bit of abstinence, they they maybe read a book here and again. Uh, but, can I just pick up and say, sorry, one thing you just said,
2: willpower. I love this. He would say to me Elliot, you must have so much willpower. I say, yeah, hey, willpower doesn't exist. And they go to me, how do you go to the gym every day? And I go, because I love it. Passionate. If you're passionate about something, you don't require willpower. We use willpower on something that we personally,
1: pre is going to be challenging. Don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something we don't want to do. And therefore, it's only a preordained outcome that it's going to either deplete or run out or all of those things. And it's like, let's stop. I mean, this is one of the big things. I'm like, please, will everybody stop going in search of more willpower? Please. And instead, shortcut the journey and work with somebody who's just like you said, going to help you relearn, change these tools. And I think that's where, you know, a perfect example is, you know, people who are like, right, I'm going to go and get a six pack. I'm just going to try and figure it out myself. Or hire somebody, get it done in a short period of time. i got a tiny story to add into here, right? I wanted to do the Mallorca 312, 312 kilometer cycle round Mallorca. And um, so I headed out enthusiastically cycling everywhere, just absolutely going for it. Um, And when it came to race day, I set off, I got to the turn off for 167, like half the journey, I was destroyed, I took off. So I finished at 167 and I was really uh, frustrated with that. Then I hired a coach and my coach said to me, just to let you know, I've seen your data, you will never do the Mallorca 312. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Of course I will. I'm a determined human being. I'm going to go make it happen. He said, no, you'll never do it. I said, why? He said, because the way you are cycling, you physically cannot sustain that high level of endurance at that level. What I need you to do is go around and cycle at volume two, like you're reading a newspaper for 10 hours. So I did that, smashed the Mallorca 312. And that's the difference of working with somebody who knows what they're doing, right? That's the difference of working with somebody who's worked with hundreds, thousands of people to shortcut down this journey of just getting it fixed. I, see, so, I think that I think that fits with everything, though, right? So, for example, yeah. right,
2: I am DIY useless, right? And, and I'm going to show you my wall. You'll see that it's wow, really covered by articles I've been in, newspapers I've been in, etc. Thing. and they're it's all laid, laid out nicely, right? They're all laid out. In a... You just didn't do that. Now, here's my point. Here's my point. I got a carpenter in to come and put the painting, the pictures up, right? I could have probably done it. It might taken me weeks. Two hours, he'd done it. Why? Damn. Because I hired somebody who knows what he's doing, who does it every day of the week, who's got thousands of hours of experience to help do something oh, I did not know. It. How to do it. That's how life is.
1: Exactly.
2: How do you ask to your own teeth That when you got teeth, like,
1: do you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I try to avoid the dentist as well. Um, yeah, I mean, Elliot, I'd absolutely. Hey, what say? So, i show you something. Hey, well, everybody used to see something. Everybody you okay. can watch this do this, right? Okay. Talk that
2: dentists. Take two fingers and a thumb. Yep. I do that. I do like, not I eat, I'll, I'll call it. that. i Okay. All right, and let go. And you'll see your mouth is slightly numb. It's like an anesthesia. You feel that? Right. So this is hypnosis, right? By doing that, the only person's ever put their thumb or finger in your mouth like that is a dentist. Your brain automatically links to that trigger of the dentist doing that, and you get a very slight anesthesia in your mouth from doing it. Wow. Because of those ingrained patterns. Because in of the pattern that you've learned. So every tan is stored. But every tan can be real.
1: Yeah. I mean, like you, Elliot, I think this is the basis of everything, right? The 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 stories we tell ourselves, the patterns, a lot of them are from our past traumatic experiences, which is which is what you've done. And they're running on autopilot. And until we resolve those, change them, change our perception of them, you're going to be using willpower or you're always going to fall back, or and I think there's a multitude of ways to get there. And I think that's what's amazing about the work that you're doing bringing in these various different tools um, to work with work with individuals.
2: so I've got I've got a story. One thing I've got to say, I, I started putting, a friend of mine said about 18 months ago, Ellie, you should put a video on TikTok. And I was like, TikTok, that's a 10-year-old. He's like, no, 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 put a video about cocaine addiction on TikTok. And you know no what? what? In 18 months, he's had 75 million views. That shows you just you with know, that one addiction alone, how huge the problem is. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, do you know why? Why is it getting worse? Well, I think there's there's several reasons. I think one of the reasons was the pandemic. So that only had an effect. I think people who used had money because they were on furlough. They had no structure, no reason to go out, nowhere to go. And the only person running around was their dealer dropping off or alcohol being delivered. So I think or their shopping being delivered with alcohol or their drug dealer. So I think their usage went up. I see this a lot. That they went up from use maybe once a week to twice a week, four times a week, five years. That's certainly had an impact. Definitely. And I think that we are a nation of seeking pleasure and dopamine. Definitely, right? Yeah. That's the second thing. And I think that now we have less things to do. Like if we were to go back. Years ago, like years and years ago, we'd have to make a fire. We'd have to hunt our food. We'd have to you know, eat, sit it, cook it, eat it, survive. Right? That sounds like a last week for me. <laughs> now we come home, and what do you do? Sit down, turn Netflix on. You know, you're bored, and people are looking for the thrill. Like, Hello, mate, can you drop one off? That's what they do. Get a six pack from the corner when you're there. That's what happens. So what do you think the solution is? I don't know if there is a solution in terms of what is a solution in terms of how the world's going to get off gear. But I think there's a solution when each individual person reaches a point where they suddenly realize this isn't the road they want to be on. And for some people, that could take a long time. You know, if I look through the thousands and thousands of comments I get on my social media, and especially on TikTok, because there's an anonymity behind it, people don't have to use their real name. So they're more vocal, right? They're like, oh, I think he's great. I think he's amazing. And my answer's always the same. Said every addict once. And I think people don't realize until they reach a point. Listen, uh, yeah. there isn't a single person with any form of addiction who at the beginning thought they would end
1: up where they're going to end up. No, exactly. Exactly. Who was, who was consciously saying, I won't be that bad. It won't go to hell for me. Um, yeah, we talk about that a lot. Yeah, And then they in denial. I'm not as bad as John. I'm not I'm not, especially with alcohol, especially with alcohol, because you're like, oh, this is totally normal. Everyone's there, but there's nothing wrong with you. You're a light drinker, you know, and then you, you, this, the, the conversation has got to switch to, look, it's not about having a problem. It's, is it causing you problems? Do you feel like involving it, that? Because if it is, then it is. Um, amazing to have you on the show, Elliot. Um, how, where do people find out more about you and um, the wonderful work you're doing? So, you can go to my website, which is www.hypnosis expert.com.
2: You can go to my TikTok. Fun enough, there's going to be a theme here at hypnosis underscore expert. You can go to my Instagram at hypnosis underscore expert. Basically, hypnosis expert, or Google me, Elliot Wald, always spelled W A L D, whiskey alpha, libra delta. Get in touch. Watch my videos. I want to help and see how you
1: can learn from things that I put out. Same as you. Yeah, good man. Amazing. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much. And um, look forward to meeting you in person one day. Love what you're doing. And um, yeah, may this be the beginning of an ongoing relationship. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Elliot.